on, or is it going to hook yeah, up in? I guess so. No, it's already taped it's already down. Taped in? Okay, yeah, good. This is a Muncie, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess it's that. Of course, that's that. Built some It's a great uh, and pleasure to be back. And I find it always difficult to believe how quickly six months go by between Memorial Day and Thanksgiving and then Memorial Day again. But the gentleman mentioned to me that it's a very good sign when time goes by quickly. You don't want time going by slowly. So Baruch Hashem. And I thank Mordechai again for all the hard work he puts on and puts in for all the Yarchikalas. And it takes a lot of Achanan. We're always communicating shortly after the last one. So I know a lot goes into it. The uh, USBs are, are available, the updated ones. I'm going to leave a packet with. Uh, Mordechai and Mr. Pachter when he gets here. And thank you very much. See me right afterwards and see uh, Rabbi Hyde later on in the day. The title, Menesianus uh, Lashlamus, dealing with Menesianus as a catalyst for Shlamus. It's a topic that is apropos all year round, especially during Yemei Sphira and Arachanus Veshvuas. I'd like to begin with a focus of Sphira. Many discuss Rav Shem Baruchai, Rav Lezer and we'll begin with the famous Gemara and Shabbos on Lamed Gimel and Medbez. The Gemara brings down that Rabbi Yehuda was sitting with Rabbi Yesi and Rav Shem Three greatest Tanaim of the Dar. There was somebody with them who was obviously very Choshev because he was the only other one sitting there. Although the first lesson to be learned is that although he wasn't trying to do Mesira, and he wasn't, he didn't go and tell the Roman government, but he let it slip out. Some of the highlights of the conversation. And you know, a top secret is only when you tell your shrugger, two of your best friends, and quietly mention it in the mikveh. So, apparently, word got out. 
Rabbi Huda was complimenting the Roman government, building the highways and building up the shopping centers and the public bathhouses. Rabbi Yesi let it go without comment that Shem Bayachai, there's a real Machalikas Tanaim over here, Shem Bayachai, aware of the dangers of saying anything, went point by point and said whatever they were masakin, they did it for themselves to collect taxes, to increase priests, their gaiva, their power, and the government found out. Just as an aside, not for today's topic, but there seems to be a machlekes tanaim over here in terms of the ged of lesichanim, l'tetein lahem chen, l'tetein l'matnas chinim, the three different drushas made all along the same lines that we don't want, we want dakya shalom, we want shalom, we want a good relationship, we don't want an attachment and being overly complimentary to of Avodah could cause that. Rabbi Yudah apparently felt that this is part of the Dr. Shalom, compliment them, let them know, we appreciate it. Ab Shimon said that might be a good idea, but the downside of the attachment to that society is too great, and therefore he felt compelled to say something at great mysterious nefesh. We know that the Gezerah was out, he had a price in his head, and they wanted to execute him. First he hit in a base medrash, then he went for 12 years, plus one, and stayed in the cave with Rabbi Elizabeth Shimon. So I saw that Avaron Leib Zatzal brings down a shayla that they tumult about. It's in the description of the Gemara and his activities in the cave, describes that they felt they might be here for the long haul, and they only had one suit, very low on supplies, come out no food, the boxer was an ace, then the boxer was edible, I suppose, and nutritious, wasn't a lethal weapon, and water, and one set of clothing. So they understood that if they'd wear it all the time, it would wear out, and they couldn't replace it, so they took off the clothing, buried themselves in the sand up to their neck, and learned Yom of Elayla in that position. Except for when they had to daven. And the Gemara describes that when they got up to daven, they would, this is not an easy process, get out of the sand and bury themselves right up to their necks. Get dressed, daven, and then bury themselves again. The problem, the kasha is, Taisa says this kasha already, the Gemara says, also in the Sakta Shabbos, that for Kriyashma Daraisa, everybody has to stop and say Kriyashma. And for Tefillah, which is the Rabbonon, everybody has to daven except for people who are such masmidim that they never stop for anything. And the example given is Rabshem Bayachai Bechaber. That's not applying a Gemara. That's the example that they give. If they're part of from Tefillah, the Tesis says of why they're getting out at great cost to their time and comfort and getting dressed and getting buried and unburied. Tesis says that maybe Tzalusa over here, although it normally means davening, here it means Kriyashma Daraisa. Others say that once that they say Kriyashma Daraisa, they have to get dressed anyway. Also covered Kriyashma, once they were dressed, they davened already. And he quotes a Sefer Terezev, 
that says what I think is a phenomenal teretz. He says it's a machlekes the Ramban and the Rambam, the status of tefillah in general. The Rambam says daraisa once a day, every day. And the Ramban says it's generally the Rabbanon except when it's an eighth sorrow. So he suggests perhaps that even Rav Shem were Mukhiv to Davin, Rav Shimon and his son over here, because it was a classic Eisara. They were wanted men. They were living in a cave, barely alive in terms of what they can expect in normal sustenance. And they lived with Pacha, that they would be found at any time. It was indeed an Eisara for 12, and then a 13th year, Raila Dover, when they went out the first time and everything got burnt, whenever they looked, they weren't trying to burn things. Kosh Brochu said, go back, it's not ready. It's not time yet. And when they were there 12 months, Abshimon himself made a cheshpin, the mishpat Gehenim is 12 months, so therefore we're yetzid. So Gehenim is Abshimon's description of their stay in the cave. So l'chaira, ein l'cha eitzara g'day and Mamela, the Gemara doesn't apply. The Gemara is talking about Tzilad Rabbanon, and this is a Chiv de Reis and their Matzavs. They had to get out each time and get dressed and daven. He goes on to say that some asked the Kasha from the Piyot, which was, we all sing it, that was written by a Makubal hundreds of years ago. And one of the opening lines is, Bayachai Meshav Taiv Yashavta. Meshav Taiv, talking about the description of his. Sojourn in the cave. Meshav Tayyid Yashapta. Here we're saying it's an Eitzara comparable to Gehenim, and that's why Tfilah is their Eitzah. So the question is is that a stira? The Pashtas is, and that's really today's topic. If you'd ask Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Lazar, it was painful, it was difficult, it was excruciating. What were the best years of your life? No doubt, Rav Shimon and Rav Ozav Shimon would say that it was the time we spent alone steiging Yemen Velayla in the cave. So was it Meshav Toiv? Absolutely. Was it a daunting task and was it something that was so difficult that the Gemara Bab Metziah says that when Rav Yesi, Rav Lezer, this is Rav Shimon's grandson, Rav Shimon, Rav Lezer, Rav Yesi, Basically, became a god of the Israel, the next generation. And when he was Nifter, they brought him to be buried in the Ma'ara with Rabbi Lezer and Rabbi Shimon. So you hear the Havamin over here as they held, he was so great that he deserves to be there. Can't just bury wherever you want. And when they came, there was a snake protecting the area, and they told the snake, Excuse me, can we get by? We're here to bury. Rabbi Yesi, Rabbi Lezer, and the snake didn't move. Asked again, the snake didn't move, and they buried him somewhere else. And the Gemara says, Kasavar, the people thought it's because Rabbi Yesi wasn't on the Madrega, and the Gemara says it's not true. In every area, he was on the Madrega, and his learning, his sitkis, his midus. The only difference is, he didn't go through the tsar and the experience of the Mara, and that Maila he didn't have. Which means with all the godless and all the hasmodah, Rav Shimon was Rav Shimon before he went into the cave. But with everything that he had, what caused the exponential growth is the tsar. We don't look for it, we daven. It shouldn't happen, we daven our way out of it. 
But when the Nisayan is here and we're dealing with it, the thing we have to remind ourselves constantly is the opportunity for growth. To contrast, we recently learned about the Magadev. Magadev is a, a jarring episode. Toward the end of a parsha, it's almost like a separate Indian. And we don't know too much about it, what we do know. Chazal tell us that there was a young man who was looking for a place to pitch his tent. And there was a shayla about his yichus, and there was a machlikis. And his father was a mitzri, so each shevet said, you can't go over here, you can't go over here. Go to Moshe Rabbeinu, figure it out, and you'll find a makum. But not here. Disconcerting. Nobody likes to be in a sikhsuch. Maisa, he went to his interior, and he lost. He couldn't put it anywhere where he was interested in putting it. He was to find a place for him. And it's a difficulty. You're in a machlekes, you have a disagreement. Maisa, the Torah, is showing us what not to do when you're in a tzara, when you're in a matzav where you feel like everybody's out to get you. First thing you do is you don't lose it. And you don't blame HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Magadev is exponential in terms of the trouble he got himself in. But Lamaisa, his reaction was due to an Isayan. And the Isayan that he had was mominous, was more than that. He felt left out. Perhaps the people dealing with him, not the Beistin, not Moshe Rabbeinu, but that's people on the ground could have tried to be more inclusive, and that's something we always have to work on. But Lamaisa, he lost the Dintera. He didn't handle it very well. The Nisianists that we have in life, we can't choose. They're sent to us based on the Sherish and the Shama, based on Sada Gugulim, based on all sorts of things. The only thing that we can control is the reaction. Rav Shimon, when he came out the second time, so he was with Rabbi Lezer. The Gemara says Rabbi Lezer at that point was still looking and everything was getting burnt. But this time, Rabbi Shimon, who wasn't a higher Madrega than his son, was able to be Marape. So it got burnt, it almost started burning, and then Rabbi Shimon fixed it. And as they're walking, an elderly gentleman runs by with two Adasim in his hands. Rabbi Shimon stops him and he said, Where are you going? Where are you running? What's that in your hand? And he tells him that this is for Kavit Shabbos. Rabbi Shimon says, Why do you need two? He says, one's for Shammar and one's for Zacher. Interesting, Rabbi Shimon didn't have this minig. And when he asked him, maybe he could have guessed the answer, but he wanted to clarify, this is something original. Where'd you get this from? Rabbi Shimon was so impressed. He turned to Rabbi Lezer and says, you see, hey, look, a yidin, chavivus, a mitzvah. Let's continue, nothing has to get burnt. Clay is doing well. He didn't see anybody who was out there already a few days, a few hours. Didn't see Yidin putting on tefillin. Didn't see Yidin doing mitzvahs. What impressed him about the fellow with the two adasim that he was able to show Rabbi Lezer, you see what Helega Yidin we have here on earth. And he explains, got to be careful not to misquote this, he says this in Elsa Shachar and Chumash in Parshas Nitzavim. He says there's a list of Tyreg mitzvahs, and then we have Durabonon, we have Minhagim, and you gotta be careful about Baltasif, you don't make up your own dinim. With that said, 
there's an Indian to try within the parameters of each din to try to maximize and be original on how you can give it more of your feelings, more of your keiches, more of your kavanas. What impressed Rav Shimon over here is that somebody puts on tefillin, whether he has kavanah or not, he still gets hired, but it's hard to tell how much kavanah they're having. Here's a year that apparently couldn't afford much from being Mechabit Shabbos. So he looks for a way, what can I do? Where can I go? What can I find to express my ava for the mitzvah of Shabbos? To look for the covet in Zohar and Shamar, the different aspects of Shabbos. Where can I find this? And he realized Hadassim smell good, they grow wild, they weren't expensive then, even if you don't have them wild, and I can use this to express my kavanas in what Shabbos represents. Rab Shimon was impressed with that. And he said, here's a yid, doesn't have the resources, but is trying to think, not inventing a new mitzvah, I have Zohar, of Shamar, how do I express it? How do I identify with it? How do I remind myself? All the more so when we're in the middle of a matzav, Nisyanis don't, in our mind, have a particular time and place. They do. Hashem has an exact time when it starts, when it stops. But often, part of the sign is it catches us by surprise. And we're thinking, I just got up, it's going to go down shachs, it's going to go learn, now I don't have the head for it, and I can't do it. And again, the extreme example of the Magadev is forget the... I see his mitzvahs. It's not for me. Kosh Baruch Hu doesn't love me. People don't care about me. I'm out of here. That's all due to the pressure of the Nisayan. The first thing is to pull yourself together and think what I could do. And what's my reaction, the most important thing? How measured is the reaction? And where do I go from here? There's a touch of a Bantera who holds a, an important position in a uh, public or trade corporation. And he's in charge, a year to Liz in the New York area. I know him well, and we speak, and he uh, shared with me recently something which I thought was Hafladik that. He put it together and that he gave this as a drosha to companies that he bought. He's in charge of M&A, mergers and acquisitions. So he buys companies to tune of hundreds of millions of dollars, each one if not more. Been doing it for many, many years. And he happened to mention Derek Hagav that it came up due to a different part of the conversation, providentially. And he mentioned that before they close on the deal, this is a big deal, before they close, he calls all the principals of the startup that they're buying and all the employees, and he sits them down and he gives them a drosha. This is after months and months, possibly years of negotiations. And be medayik, he says, before the closing, I wasn't sure whether I was making the right deal because I said, this is after the contract is signed, I hope. So he said, yeah, 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 the contract was signed. After I heard what he's about to say, what you're about to hear, I asked him why he didn't give this drosha after the closing. He said, no, it's not like real estate. They really have to close. And uh, signed the contract, and this is, uh, it's going through. So what's the drosha? So he said, he uh, thought of it patterned after some... Uh, Philosopher, psychiatrist said, uh, 
written a book about the five stages of grief, Leolenu. The Dian, whether they're five, four, or six, it's not important for now. This is what he patterned it after. And he tells the group that just made hundreds of millions of dollars. Didn't make it yet, the closing is the next week, but it's in the bag, as much as things could be in the bag. So he tells them, I want to describe the process that you're going to go through over the next days, weeks, and months. It's a chiddush nifla, it was a chiddush to me. He said it was a chiddush to him when he started doing this decades ago. And the Pella, Gabi Pella, it's a chiddush to the people he gives this Russia to, even though they're in the business. And the whole reason they had this startup is to be able to realize their dream of getting bought by somebody big for a lot of money. So he tells them, stage one is elation. Tremendous simcha. You worked for years on this, started in your garage, and tinkered with whatever you're tinkering with, and it worked and worked and worked. Everything is siyat Maya. He's talking generally to Akum, sometimes to Yidin, not often to Frum, but it's a better drusha for us, as we shall see. And he tells them that uh, a lot of parties are going to happen, and you're going to have this feeling of elation that you made it, and all your hard work's gavaldic. He said, that's wonderful. I just want to prepare you for stage number two. Stage number two, I'm curious already. So I said, before you tell me what it is, uh, how long is each stage? He said, unfortunately, stage number one lasts a few days, a few weeks. Couldn't believe it. Yeah, they're working for years and years to get to this point. So he says, stage number two is very strong resentment and regret. How much regret can you have? You just made $800 million. The answer is, those got nothing. They should have paid 900. We undersold. Sounds ridiculous. But he said, this has never not happened. For many companies, this is always on the script. So I started arguing. I said, okay, a year later, five years later, similar companies. He said, days. Sometimes weeks, depending on how well balanced they are. Pretty shocking, but I guess a very human condition. So, now I'm very curious. This is so valuable because whether you're an M&A or you sold your company and you didn't have regrets. By the way, if you sold your company and you didn't have regrets, please come to me afterwards. I'd like to uh, maybe interview you and uh, make you uh, one of the elected Lamedovniks. Stage number three. I said, how long does stage number two last? He said, a long time, too long. He's the one they start complaining to, even though they're shooting the messenger. He doesn't spend his billions on this. That's why it's a publicly traded company. He said, the third stage is going to sound even more unusual. He calls it the those idiot stage. 
I said, those idiots? Who are those idiots? He said, I'll explain. Wait a moment. Who's the those idiots stage? So what happens after the elation, the short-lived happiness, and then the longer-lived resentment and chaos and hatred and tainas, they finally realize, okay, we're bought by this company, we're part of the company now, we've got to go back to work. So then they start actually doing some work and going to meetings and committee meetings. And the next stage, which also lasts quite a while, is what he hears back from the people that they bought who can't understand why those idiots up top can't make a normal decision with any amount of speed. Why? Because they've been in the garage with seven employees and you can move a rowboat pretty quickly, but a large ship is very hard to turn. And they don't really understand that they're now part of a Fortune 500 company and there are other considerations besides you like the other 50 companies they bought over the last 10 years. And there are many other, many, many other cheshbenes to what's going on. So even though the decision looks ridiculous, we're not idiots, we might be wrong, we're not always right, but we're looking at a lot of other things, and you have your own myopic view of your vinkle of what should be done. This is true in cloud work, this is true in shuls, this is true in shivas, this is true in any office, this is true in families. I remember we had a discussion. This took place in Flatbush on East 4th Street many, many years ago. It was the pre-Cholomoid discussion with my children. That starts like nine weeks before Cholomoid. And I think my oldest daughter, who's married by Hashem, a number of children, uh, I think she was in fifth grade. And she threw out a suggestion. And... She didn't fully understand after her second suggestion, third suggestion, why, no, we can't rent a plane to go to Alaska for the day after Shafras. <laughs> and, and she couldn't understand, but every time she mentioned something, I kept mentioning the Bronx Zoo on Wednesday. She couldn't understand like, where the dichotomy was. I'm sure you've all had the pleasure of this discussion. Um, usually starts during Elul, ends up usually the first day, I know we don't leave till 2 p.m., because that's the discussion really gets exciting. And I had, at that time, uh, Anna, her four daughters, and she was in fifth grade, she realized she wasn't getting anywhere fast, and she said, you know what? She has a good idea, why don't we put it to a vote? Of course, she realized it was four against two. So I told her, uh, no, we don't really vote in these things, we take suggestions and we'll discuss it, uh, but uh, no vote. So she starts thinking, and she said, well, I just learned in social studies, we live in a democracy. <laughs> she meant it not with chutzpah. She couldn't understand. We didn't know vote. The teacher had just been hawking about voting, and everybody votes, and even women vote, and, uh, and you vote on everything. So I said, uh, no, in this house, it's not a democracy. So she said, uh, after thinking for another few minutes in silence, she says, uh, are you a melech? <laughs> So, uh, from a fifth grader, this is age appropriate. So I said, no, it's actually a theocracy. I lost her there. It's not a malchus, it's not a democracy. That's really what it is. We don't, uh, Melech doesn't decide anything either. He, uh, he's got a shulchan aruch and he's got a sanhedrin. And then I explained to her later that uh, renting planes, uh, even if we could afford it, is um, iron horror material and all sorts of other reasons why the rest of the suggestions were not as good as the Bronx Zoo. 
Lamaisa, what she wasn't aware of from her corner was that there are many different things that go into a decision, and no, you can't just do whatever strikes your fancy. While these very capable young businessmen who just got sucked into this very large corporation don't really get it. It's a very long stage. Those idiots never make a decision in a timely fashion, and even when they make it, it's never very good. And most of the time, it's actually pretty well thought out. And yes, there's back and forth, and people have McGee's. But we would hope that in a boardroom, in a major corporation, there are people with enough brains to figure out sometimes lose a battle, win a war, and sometimes you have to please other people, and there are other parties, and a lot going on, but you make a decision. They don't get that. And there's massive lush and horror going on about the idiots in that boardroom. That's stage number three. Stage number four is the ones that are still there that weren't fired for their Lush and Hara and their lack of activity and their general moodiness. They actually become working components and hopefully productive because this fourth stage is they accept it. This is what it is and maybe we should start getting our act together. And the fifth stage is they actually contribute and grow with the company and become an asset. I asked him if he ever bumps into those that made it, anybody who made it to stage five who are an asset. He said, yes. He says, one recent conversation, he bumped into a fellow in the hallway, and he said, hi, Bob, how you doing? He says, yeah, I'm here already seven years. You here seven years already? I just remember, like, yesterday. We just came to the company seven years. So how's it going? So Bob says, I know it's going well. I became one of those idiots. <laughs> So this is all of us. We do this whatever you happen to be doing in life. It's always, did I get what I'm supposed to get? They're underpaying me, they're taking advantage. And something went wrong and they're not giving me enough covered. And then they don't give me the ability to make the decision and there's so many people involved and why are all these people getting in my way? Like the people standing in line, why are all these people in front of me and why do these people speak English? It's all the same. If you go through life and everybody around you is somebody who's in your way, you're going to be very unhappy and not very productive. Most of the Nisyanists that we have are Nisyanists, two categories. Either they come, everything's been a Shemayim, but they come and you realize that this is not somebody who Loyalenu brought this highly they, they know right away if you're from, you gotta know, I can't blame this on anybody yet. But most of the other Nisyanists are usually involving people. And then Nisyanists in Shalom Bayis, and Nisyanists in Kibbutz Abayim, and Nisyanists in Chinuch Habanu Vabanus, and then Nisyanists in dealing with the Rabayim and the teachers and the staff members who are trying to help raise your children. And then you're dealing with the boss and the people in the office and all the idiots in the boardroom. And Rab Shem if anybody had a right to have tainas on the world, and have tainas on people, he was stuck in a cave, barely hanging on, because somebody had a loose mouth. That's true, the end of the Gemara, years later he met Yehuda ben Geirim. He didn't give him a club, he just looked at him and he said, oh, you're still here, and, the, and he died on the spot, because I'm sure by that's gonna happen. But 
he didn't spend 12 years, 13 years of growth churning and tightening on people. How'd they do this? Can't they be more careful? And I have to suffer here. Most of us do that all the time. And it takes away from our concentration. It takes away from our Yishev Adas. It takes away from our Simchas HaChayim. And it's not productive because most of the time there's nothing you can do about it. And we have these things built in our head and our imagination and all these tainas and all these people are doing horrible things. There are people doing horrible things. But usually the number within the community is far less than we imagine. You can protect yourself. But to go around not learning the parameters of lean mitzvah, I mean, not only is a violation of a mitzvah, it's not healthy. It doesn't lead to simcha sachayim. And I think one of the many things they learned from Abshimin and part of Sphira, and the reason it's to focus on the Badama Havera doing Sphira. You think, uh, you talk about it during Elwal, Badama Havera, Hachanafa Kabal Satera, so talk about Hasmada and talk about Amelis Patera, which we do talk about. Where does the Badama Havera mix in over here? So, besides the fact, and the fact that you're learning and you have to apply what you're learning also and you have to get along with people and there's so many mitzvahs that are totally in this I think it goes far deeper and in a way more simplistic and that is if you're not happy with yourself and your matzah you're not going to be a good Eved Hashem if you're not being Eved Hashem you're not learning and you're constantly worried about all the people who are going to ba'avul you and did ba'avul you and all the people you have tainas on a long long list of people and as you grow older and older, you have a long, long list of tainas that takes up a lot of room on the hard drive. And it really takes away from the concentration, from the cheshek, and everything else we need for the Abedis Hashem. There's a very famous Meisel and Gemara Brachas. And this is the second important tool on how to deal with the Nisianists, and not just deal with them. Deal with them and grow from them. That's what they're here for. Gemara Brachas Lamadalad on the base. Gemara says, Shov Maisa Brabchina Ben Daisa, who was known as the Baal Tila of the Dar. Shahalach Lil Matera Eitz Rabbi Yechamazaka. Just get the position over here. He's the Talmud. Rabbi Yechamazaka is the Rebbe. He went to learn by Rabbi Yechamazaka. Yechamazaka is the God of the Dar. Chala Benesh Rabbi Yechamazaka. And apparently the illness was serious, Rahman Laslan, and he went to his Talmud. Please daven for him. He davened, and Baruch Hashem, his son lived. Rabbi made a comment, and he made this comment in front of his rabbitim. Had I daven like that, with my head down, Tachanin style, I could have done that all day. I don't think it would have made a ration. Feel always makes a ration, but I don't think I would have solved the issue here. You're the Rebbe, is the Talmud. How does this work? And you all know the Gemara gives the very mysterious answer, quoting Rabbi Yechem and Zakkai, I'm Allah love. No. He was a trend of, but his Rebbe asked the question. No. 
He's the Talmud, I'm the Rebbe. Ella hu daima ke'eved lefnei A lot of ink has been spilled. What does this mean? What's the answer? I'm greater. I'm greater than Ochina Mendesa. He is the key for Tvila because he is an Eved, an Amasar. What's the shot? So the Gedusha's Levi in Parshas Chukas says a fascinating aside. And it's the exact same scenario, just in a more important Ruchnizdika realm of the boardroom and the startup and the individuals in the company who don't know exactly what's going on and have questions. And the Kedushas Levi says that a Tsar, an important officer in the cabinet of the king, is in the boardroom and he's at the meetings and he has a panoramic view of all the challenges, trials and tribulations and decisions that have to be made in the kingdom dealing with the national security, with the individuals, with the economics and all the other things that go into running a country. And being that he's there and he knows the various cheshbenes and he sees that the melech is doing something that to the hamanam looks wrong, it looks cruel. How can he do that? How can you raise taxes? All the people can't afford it in the first place. There's a deficit, and he's afraid there's a war coming up, and the Pentagon's complaining. There, there are always many competing cheshbenes to why the government's doing something, but there's always somebody who looks like they're getting hurt, and they're going to complain. The Tsar understands that, no, the Melech is trying to do it correctly, and the Melech Malchem Lachem always does it correctly by definition. And what looks like something that's not fair, looks like a tragedy, looks like an unfair Nisayan, is good for the individual and good for the Klal. Just that Akash Baruch doesn't explain every decision to every single human on earth. And the Tsar, because he understands this, is at a sort of a disadvantage in begging for mercy, because how can he beg for mercy? He's going to go to the king. He said, how can you do this? That whole town is suffering. The king said, I understand. You were part of this meeting. You were the one who voted on it. You don't understand what's going on. I made the final decision, but you were certainly understanding the process. And says, I'm a cyber fanamela. I understand a lot more. And I understand what I understand. I understand that I don't understand. And there's still a mitzvah to daven. This is not a stira. The sayin is here often to daven, and sometimes the tefillah can change it, and sometimes the tefillah is supposed to bring you closer to talk to Gosh Baruch Hu, and it's not going to change, and it's a gazera, and it's sealed. We don't know that, and therefore we're allowed to daven, or we're to daven. But can you imagine the kavana of a person who is in with the information and was sitting at the meeting? He'll daven because he's allowed to daven, he's allowed to try to change it, but it's not going to be with the same fervor. As a person who is an Ebed in the palace, he's never allowed into any meetings, he has no security clearance at all, but he sweeps the floor and he polishes and he helps out and he serves the wine. It could be the Sarayfim also. And he's a great person, they love having him around, and he's a real Ebed HaMelech. But he's not privy to any of the Cheshbenes. Or he's not as privy as his Rebbe, Rebbe Yechamed Zakai. And he told his Rebetzin, I'm the Tsar, and my davening has this handicap because I know too much of Chinin Badaisa 
has such rachamim and such kedusha and such sitkus, and he's a real eved hamelach. But he doesn't have the same panoramic view, and his tefillah will therefore make more of a ration. It's an incredible, almost counterintuitive shot. Menchas Asher and his Sefer and Bitochen brings down that the Medrash that uh, sounds like a Medrash Pliya without this Yisoid. Meshach Rabbeinu spends days and days arguing about the snare not to take Klai Yisrael out and his main taina was I'm a nobody, my brother's a big tzaddik, he's a leader already, he's my older brother, chutzpah, and I'm not interested in hurting his feelings. Which is exactly what Akash Baruch wanted to hear, even though Akash Baruch was going to say you're going anyway. So the Pasik says, Shlach which means, Pashup Shat, Aaron, my brother. The Medrash says, Shlachna biatishlach is send Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva? Okay, so we already know that Chazal tell us that when Moshe Rabbeinu was shown Dar Dar V'darsha V'chachama of all the future Deiris, and he saw a lot of Chachamim starting, he had his Talmud, Yeshua Benun, the next one's Asniel Ben Kanaz, the world's biggest Lamdin, he saw a lot of Chachamim. When he got to Rabbi Akiva and he saw him darshaning all the Tagim, he was so impressed, he asked the Kosh Baruch Hu, why'd you give the Torah to me? Give it to Rabbi Kiva. So we already know there's some angle here that Moshe Rabbeinu feels that he shouldn't be the one going to the time to take them out, and he shouldn't be the one facilitating Kabbalah Satayra. But it goes deeper. He asked the following Kasha. Why is it that Moshe Rabbeinu asked the most difficult question our version of Tzadik Rala, Rosh Hashanah His Lashem was, which the Marbracha says is, I don't understand, there's a lot of suffering and pain in this world, Tzadik Rala, Rosh Hashanah Hashem, can you explain it to me? Which is this sugya, I'm a sar. I'm in many of the meetings anyway, but I don't have all the information. Can I have top, top security clearance and understand everything? The answer was sort of, no. He got more. Harsh Baruch Hu, the deepest parsha in Chumash. Harsh Baruch Hu says, I'll show you a little more, but you can't see everything, it's still my back. And if you're a human being, you can't see everything. The Chasasha wants to know, it's a very strong kasha, why in the world did this come up now? A lot going on. Meshav is always talking to Harsh Baruch Hu. Why did he ask now? So think back, when did he ask? When did this Shiloh come up? Hareini no. What was bothering him? Why did the Kasha come up? This is right after Chet Egel. Right after Chet Egel and the disastrous aftermath. They had to fight a war and they had to kill people and they had to drink and they died. Chayisrael is in disarray. And Moshe Rabbeinu asked at this point, he said, I've seen suffering before. We're in Mitzrayim. I was there. They were killing babies. I took one out. He had a similar kasha then. Ended up being Micha Pesel Micha, part of the lesson. I've seen a lot of suffering. That in context, I understand. We were in Golis, and you said, we're going to go out. We went out. And then you promised we're going to get the Torah. We got the Torah. Everything's wonderful. This is the infancy of Klai Yisrael. It's very important at the very beginning that everything should go smoothly. So far, Yitzit Yisrael, Gavaldik, Esra Makas, Kriyas Yamsev, Gavaldik. Kabbalah, Satera, Nasev, and Ishma. 
We're sailing along. And right after, not after, at Kabbalah Satayra, there's a Chet Ego and they go off the there. This isn't Stam a problem, Klayasol is on their feet and they're a mature nation. This is going to destroy the entire very fragile edifice that we're building. Because I don't understand. If something's going to happen, can we, uh, year number three, year number four, year number ten, this is Kabbalah Satera. Why is this happening now? And it bothered Meshav Ben so much, now he asks, Harenina, I'd like to see, I have to understand, I, I, can't, I can't do this. And Mechazasha says that that's why he put in Shlachna Biatishlach, said before, but all along he said, I'm not fit, and he even said, if I can't handle this and Kleisel got punished, take me out, I didn't think I should have a job in the first place. <coughs> Rabbi Kiva had two midas that Meshra Benu saw that are eminently useful and crucial for leading Kleisel. One is the Adiyasatera and the ability to transmit it. He felt Rabbi Kiva was better, Akash Baruchu Kaviyoch disagreed. Disagreed because he said everything he has is Torah Misenai through you, Allah Hamash Misenai. And the second aspect is that we need a person who's not going to be broken by what's going on around them. And the rest he could figure out. Rabbi Kiva is the Tana. That when they're walking on Harabayas, there's a shul that comes out. And Rabbi Yeshua, we're talking about his Rabbeim, we're talking about the leaders that survived the Horban. And they were upset, and they were crying. And Rabbi Kiva said, no, this is a kima, that nevuah will have a kima, the other nevuah. And he said that's why they were all assembled afterwards, the famous Seder, which we had not that long ago. Rabbi Kiva was the one picking them up. They're hearing wild parties and screaming and yelling from the metropolis of the Goyim and Chayasol's in ruins and the cities are in ruins. Where's the justice? And again, they were depressed and upset. And Rabbi Kiva says, no, this is what the every Ritzano are getting. Can you imagine what's in store for us? So Rabbi Kiva is the leader that in every situation was able to say, if this is happening now, there's a reason. We have Bechira. We have Bechira to do it. We have Bechira to pick it up. We don't have Bechira in one area of Vedas Hashem because we can't afford it. We have the Bechira because we don't often measure up. And that is Yish, sadness, Atzlus. If that ever comes up in your examination of the matzah to try to improve, that ever comes up in the process of tikkun and tshuva, you know that's coming straight from the Yitzhar because there's no benefit to that. There's a very short amount of time you could be sad about the Avera very quickly and move on. Harata should be, in terms of the duration, time and focus, certainly for Armadrega, a lot less than how we're going to try to figure out a system that doesn't happen again. How are we going to get up and warn other people and help other people who are struggling with it? How are we going to get up and make sure that because I understand what the Nisayan is, I'm going to be able to advise people? That's time well spent. And Meshra Benu felt that at this point in time, Klaisal just started during Kabbalah Satara. He's away and everything's falling apart. And he almost couldn't handle it which is why he asked then, and Hashem said, I will show you a little bit more to be able to give you the insight to carry on, which he did.
There's an amazing uh, quote from the Kafa Chaim, so this Nefiskat Shuvis. There's a shtickle on Bitachar and Amuna and how to be married yourself to different situations. And the Shul mentioned recently that told him he's 100% right, it's a great way to look at things. He says, he says a special maidim again when he gets to the office in one piece at 9.15 in the morning. He said, with my eight children at home, they've come out in the morning, somebody's not missing the bus, and then somebody has the flu, and somebody has this, and somebody has that. It's, it's crazy, he says. It's, it's wild. He says, I get to the office, I sit down at my desk at 9.15, the kids are in school, everybody's healthy, I'm alive and well, I'm able to make a panasa. This is after his hour and a half of learning in his shachris. That doesn't happen every morning. And you have to be thankful when it does, and you have to be able to deal with the facts on the ground when it doesn't. This kafachayim, we see it in Lushen, v'chlal mitazu shal yada margol adam es atzmaim lemnaya Amunah B'tachan is not just a nice thing and a mitzvah. It's all the above and it shows what your relationship with the Kodesh Baruch is. For selfish reasons, as we described from the people murmuring about all the people who ripped them off and babbled them and all the people who are nervous and everybody else because nobody else has the ability to make decisions and to move things along. Lamaisa, many human beings spend most of their life worrying about things that often don't materialize, and then out of left field, something comes in that you didn't think about. And for the warriors, that gets them more worried because now they have to worry more methodically to cover every possible scenario. So if you work in a uh, room where they discuss war games and possible scenarios, that's your job. Our job over here is not focus on the pachadim, dogas, machlas, mochamas, anashim, rhyme. Shapachad Israel He says the pachad itself, besides the chasarim that causes lack of mazel. Now, we're all wondering, I wish I could be that happy-go-lucky person who seems to be smiling all the time and nothing ever bothers him. And he must have the life of Riley, whoever that was. Not sure, but he must have worked on his bitachin, his amuna. The fact that he's smiling, smiling too much, you have to figure out if he has something to drink. If it's real, you don't have to always smile, although it's a nice thing and it's contagious. Lamaisa we all have work to do in this regard because if you look back and as you gain experience in life, make yourself a short list of the things you worried about long-term about some inevitable sky-falling-in scenario and then check off how many times you did that and how many times it actually happened. And then put a little note what happened the day after when something unexpected came and you had to deal with that. Just from the in terms of the Yishvadas and Simchas HaChayim, it makes more sense to work on these things. And the Chav HaChayim says, from the Mazel point of view, if you worry more than you have to, that causes a lack of Mazel unto itself. And he goes on to discuss what's the 
Gemara says, is Ashrei Adam Mufachet Tamid? Pachad is a good thing. And the answer is, yeah, in Yeruchnius. Have Pachad, maybe you spoke too much in the Letta Lashon Hara, and maybe you could have learned more, and maybe you could have davened harder, maybe you could have given what stock There's a lot to be nervous about. Even that, that's together with the Simcha Sachayim, the general Yushva Das, but the same paper you're writing down in terms of what you want to do, look back, what have you accomplished in your Ruchnius? Where are you holding now, six months after Yom Narayim? Where are you holding before Kabbalah Satera? And then the side margin, put down your worries on paper. There were certain Gedalim who, whenever they had a Taina and a Sifsuch, somebody had Tainas on them, they didn't create the Sifsuch, they would sometimes have to make a Machal. And they would sit down, don't have time for this, but they did it. It's important to say your daya. And they wrote a letter from Acha. And they wrote the letter, they finished it, folded it up, put it in their drawer, and there it stayed. There's something to that also. Not everything you think has to be written down, everything you write down has to be sent. But there has to be a way to flush it out of the system so we don't waste valuable time and energy focusing on it. We're almost out of time, so I want to conclude with one other example from this passage, Parsha, Parsha Bahar. Rav Moshe, in his Roshas on Chumash, wants to know what's the shaykhis between Yevul and Shemitah and Amal's Dvarim. Starts off with Yevul, talks about the dinam of Yevul, talks about Amal in terms of figuring out how many years you're leasing it for. The simple connection is that's Amal of Mammon. And goes on to Anaz Devarim. Ramesha thinks it's much more than that. And he says the Pashipshad is that a person who is up to keeping Shemitah and Yevah, which is a tremendous sign, is probably the most difficult mitzvah in the Chumash. If you imagine Rahman Aslan, a person out of work, and they just downsized, and those idiots made a decision, red ink, and they just laid off 10,000 people. And you were one of them, and you don't know what to do. A day, a week, very painful, very difficult. A week without a job, a month without a job. Shemitah tells a farmer who has no side business, take off a year, it's on me. And then Yevul, Dindaraisa, is take off two years, it's on me. It's got to be the hardest mitzvah of Humish. If there's anything else I'm missing, let me know. Two years? Not two years. And then you're going to get a job and you get the raise and the bonus, the sign-up bonus, is going to recoup whatever you lost in the two years. No, you're not farming for two years. There's very little food. And the Pusik says, yes, I'll give you a bumper crop. But the Pusik says that, and that's the Haftacha. And Kosh Baruch obviously means it, but you've got to be on the level to understand that. Amisha says that Nidav Bitochen is the obvious segue to Anaz Devarim. Why do people chepper other people? Why would somebody call somebody a name? Why would somebody put somebody down? Why would somebody want to get a rise out of somebody? Like, what's your problem? What for? What does it do for you? The answer is people with very little bitachan and amuna translates into low self-esteem. They don't believe in themselves. They don't believe in anybody else. They think everybody's out to get them. So they spend their whole life putting daggers and everybody else, because you're a potential threat, and you're the competition, and he's the competition. Whatever industry you work in, everybody's the competition. That's pretty scary. You've got billions of people in the world. It's you against 
Three billion people. It's a pretty daunting thought. And they're all out to get you, which sort of, if you're in the same industry, then everybody's looking for the same thing. The only difference is that Kosh Baruch Hu, the same Kosh Baruch Hu that says, Shemitah and Yevil, don't farm, don't lift a shovel or a spade, you'll have enough food, says, you know, in the real estate market, in securities, in commodities, whatever you happen to be in, there are enough buyers and enough sellers around, don't sweat. But don't sweat too much. And there's no need to attack the other person, to vilify the other person. And it's not just in money, it's not just in Parnassah. People attack other people because they feel the cover is threatened. If people think he's so chashiv, there's only enough chashivas to go around. I can't be chashiv with him and him. Three chashiv people in a room, what's the chances of that? Not that likely. So if I push him and him down, there's only one person in the room who might be chashiv. Okay, now we're, now we're talking. And we do this all the time. Amesha says it's the same chisarin and bitachon and amunah. I guess the rest is going to have to wait for Thanksgiving. I will uh, close with bracha for all of us. We should not only work on our hasmada, our amelis, finding more time to learn. So Salati used to say, if you learn some musr, it won't take away from your learning. You'll find after learning musr, you have more time. And he also said, that if you learn enough musr, you won't waste time. All the things we discussed today because the real time waster is not only eking out more of a seder, 10 minutes here, an hour here, that takes bitachem, not to take on a second job, another opportunity. The real time waster is our insecurities, worrying about everybody else, looking over our shoulder, thinking everybody's out to get us, and the time spent on trying to get ahead of everybody else and covered in money and pirsum, whatever we're running after, it's all covered in maduma, and it takes away from our real Kabbalah of Asmada, Amelis, and Avedis Hashem Besimcha. So, Mr. Hashem, we should take it to heart and move the bar further up and be to a Kabbalah Satera, Benuchas Anefesh, Simcha, and Nachas.